Episode 16, Performance Artist Kulaf. My name is Michael Delgado and I'm your host. I come to you each week from the fantastic library bar in the spectacular historic Mayfair Hotel, right here in downtown LA. Today, I'm meeting Kulaf, a performance artist and provocateur, or what they call in some circles, a troublemaker. As I enter the Art Deco lobby, Kulaf is already ensconced on a couch, serenely sipping from a water bottle. Dressed generically, or maybe in another circle, it would be described as gender non-conforming. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed it. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any, and, oh yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My guest today is interdisciplinary artist Kulov, whose work over the last two and a half decades has included performance art, public installations such as billboards, writing, videos, and much more, all aimed at igniting public discourse. A recipient of grants and fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts, the Andy Warhol Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Art Matters Foundation, Kulov is out with a new retrospective book. Kulaf, 90 to 15, 25 years of political, public art, and performances. Please welcome performance artist Kulaf. So I'm going to start, I always say, and how do you say your fucking name, by the way? Is it Kulaf or Kulaf? Kulaf. I don't explain. You can ask me. You can ask me that. I explain. Oh, wait. Well, I will say welcome Kulaf. Yeah. And that's the correct yeah, pronunciation. Okay. okay. You can ask me that. That's a great way to start. Why? What, uh, you, know, I, you want to explain that. Or I need you to explain. Okay. It. Well, I'll I'll say. I mean, if you say it wrong or right, I'll tell you that's correct. <laughs> and so, cool off. It's cool off. It's pronounced like the verb to cool off. Oh. Cool. But it's spelled differently. It's spelled K-U-L-O-V. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. That's good. And um, and so, and I always tell people just don't use the verb in vain around me. Say, don't say it's too hot in LA today. I need to cool off you need because to cool off. Oh, just do but not you don't say like that. roll it like kill off. No, like, no, it's just it's just like it's just like the verb. And by the way, um, I, I don't want to sort of go into these kind of frivolous details that are just meaningless and have nothing to fine. do with the work. Is that you know you sort of Google cool off, and of course I come up and there's just cheap vodka. Um, Is it really? Yes, bottled in Scotland. Oh, and so when I used to, you know, I've lived in Europe, obviously, and um, and so I used to spend a lot of times at um, art openings in London, and, and so they, they would serve have, they no. would serve Kulov cheap <laughs> Scottish vodka, which is supposedly Russian, but it's not. What is it? Uh, is it wheat based? And uh, and I have no idea because I I'm, I I I am allergic to most or alcohol, heat. so oh. so it's Kulov vodka, but also. Um, uh, it, it's it's like we have here at openings in LA. You go and you get that cheap Mexican beer everywhere. Yeah. That's what the, what That's the Brits do with the Kula vodka. So That's fine. so every time you know somebody says, "Oh my gosh, look what I found!" For the past twenty five years, uh, I will look what I found, and I would get a little yeah. bottle of Kula so vodka. I have a ton of them, and I don't drink them, and so yeah. it's kind of amusing. That is anyway. funny. I speaking of funny named vodkas, I bought I I. I uh, uh, a copyrighted Pussy Riot vodka. Oh, and 
and got a cease and desist letter from, from the band. From the band, the band, yeah. Yeah. But well, <laughs> they don't have a legal standing. But I thought it was, I, I you know, any proceeds from the vodka that we were going to make was going to go to the band. So, well, where would you, um, how would you go about making this vodka? I mean, do you have any experience yeah. in vodka? Oh, I no, know no, that. no. You can get like, no, I looked into this quite a bit. So actually. you would just like, you know, uh, just just put your brand on whatever somebody else. Yeah, would that, like actually, uh, there's a vodka here that's made. Uh, it's a local artisan, uh, but they would private label it, and uh, and so it, it wasn't that expensive to start. Um, but it was a little more than I wanted to risk, um, and then there was the the you know they were concerned about how it was being portrayed. But basically, it looked like uh, Stolichnaya, except it had instead of the little gold coins, it had the girls in the baklavas. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny. But yeah. uh, I anyway, I never did it. But I still own. The that rights. sounds like an interesting project. Still actually. own the rights. <laughs> Speaking of vodka, cheap <laughs> vodka. Cheap vodka, cool off. Yes, so, uh, so as long as you don't refer to me in, you know, as a verb or as a vodka, then it's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, good. I'm glad we got all that straight. Okay, so today, apparently, is International Transgender Day of Visibility. Yes. Am I right? Yes. Okay, good. I saw that on your email. And um, I thought it would be appropriate to have you in today, even though this won't air for several weeks probably um, well I identify as gender not conforming anyway so it's partly transgender and gender not conforming see this is I'm so glad you're bringing this up because this is as we were talking right before I got it I'm so fucking confused well it is confusing and it's not just confusing to you it's just confusing to sort of everybody including us who identify as that just because um, we know whenever you talk to somebody you should probably ask them what pronoun they you, you want to right. be referred you to as like they I prefer they, they but I'm not strict about I don't correct people about it so you can but I mean right now you I mean I can say you which is exactly but you know I am not strict about it because for me it's part of this transformation that I uh, identity transformation that I'm feeling I need to do and um, I had that about 30 years ago mm -hmm. I changed my name and sort of Kulov became my sort of single name I, I I, I, I'm related to people who come from the land of single names like Cher, Madonna, right, and right, Baracha sure, and yeah. all that. Um, but uh, but uh, as a side note, but um, I went through this kind of transformation and identity and I feel at this point in my life I'm going through another one, yeah. but it's not completed. And so um, I don't know in, where it's going to... In terms of gender? In terms of, well, it's a name, it's gender, identity. You it's it's a personal, I might be changing my name again. Mm. I do not know. I mean, I left this kind of a nebulous um, uh, last page of the book and we can sort of uh, yeah well I'm talking about the book for sure yeah, yeah yeah but you will and we'll go you know the very last page has that sort of um, thing um, my name is not Kulov and my um, pronoun is they and it just leaves it there ah. it's like what happens next after this book or after these projects or after these say 25 years of right. uh, political public art performances it might have to do with my identity am I not but the reason I'm not a stickler about the gender and how you address me or how you refer to me uh, it'll be great for, for it to be they but they with the plural gets confusing how people sort of understand sure. it is it a collective the Kulov or is it Kulov the yeah, person I, I, right. uh, so that's a little bit confusing for everybody and that's okay but you know people would um, you know I, I'm not a stickler. When I sort of figure it all out, 
and then <laughs> then then I'll say, hey, just like I refer to Kulav as don't call don't 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 uh, use it as a verb around me. There'll be something like that in right. terms of the, the the pronoun, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe there wouldn't be nothing. So huh. I think. Well, well, yeah. Like maybe we can wrap with that on like where you think you're going. Um, but to go back to uh, the start, start sort of uh, with um, the international transgender thing, right? That there was uh, you did a piece early on in a, during the Clinton administration. Is that right? Well, yes. Um, what um, what what what's happening is that um, obviously I I have this. Um, Artist book that's been out, uh, which I released on election, and that's day. the ninety fifteen. Ninety to fifteen. It covers twenty five years of political public art and was performance. Was it? But was okay. But the the original. So this there was a book before this. There is no? a book before that, and um, these are artist books because uh, I books are part of my sort of art pra practice. But they're at the same time they're retrospective just because they they just kind of go historically talk about my projects. I talk about right. my projects, and the yeah. first one was produced um, in two thousand and one. It was a handmade, completely. Okay. I got That's into the one we were talking about when you dropped in the store. Um, or no, 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 oh my God, no. I'm confused. No, it is confusing, but no, that one covers <laughs> that was covered. That just covers my first decade of work, which is during yeah. the nineties, and it was released in two thousand and one. And um, I got into, I, I learned how to bind books by hand and I absolutely oh. loved it. Yeah. And that book is much more elaborate and I think we thought of bringing it today so you can see it, you haven't seen that one. Um, but it's, it's got a lot of inserts. Everything was bound with a different cover and a different inside and it's got magnifying glasses and 3D glasses and it's got all these inserts. So it was produced as a limited edition only of 12 copies <coughs> plus two, uh, three artist proofs. And um, it was very elaborate, but it was just a lot of fun to do. Um, and in fact, um, two of them are, uh, one of them is in the artist book collection at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, and another one at the uh, State League in Amsterdam. But they're the handmade sort of versions that were done in right. 20, uh, 2017. Yeah. I love those. Kind and, of. and so they're fantastic. And, but now technology has sort of changed in terms of printing. And, and I wanted to sort of, I wanted, I'm looking back into much sort of um, longer time span, 25 years, and what, and this new book that it is, it just includes the work in the 2000s, okay. uh, the, the performance, more performative oriented type of work. And um, the thing about it is that, you know, this is the book that sort of you've seen or show mostly. Yeah. But that is not the main. The main is the limited edition book. Yeah, you and that you, has you, a bit you, of a uh, yeah. You teased me with that exactly. When I came into the so story. so this book is the more sort of Kulaf accessible. Is showing me books, by the way, this, which will be will pictures of will be on aggeiger.com. But uh, we're looking at beautiful little tomes here. But which anyway, which okay, look like uh, artist monographs, but they're really not traditional artist monographs because I write in, in the first person and it's purposely dense. I want you to work, you know, uh, as you're reading and, uh -huh. and going through it. There is a summary of each project from my point of view, but also there's little facts and their personal facts uh -huh. as well throughout. Uh, but the, the main book is the limited edition version, which got handmade aspects to it. There's a hand-glued image, there's a partial dust jacket around it. I just love making things with my hands more and yeah. more because we sit in front of computers. I should have brought the white gloves. That so I the, so the other one actually, the first one came with white gloves on purpose. Yeah, no, And so should, yeah. the, there's the hardcover version is basically 
a sh an offshoot, a much more sort of affordable and producible uh -huh. version of this one rather than the other way around. Right. Wonderful. So, so the artist, and I wish I could say that um, um, this is, um, uh, that, that this book is part of my art practice, which it is, but it's also about my art practice at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, well, about. this is part of the not confusion. I mean, it's, I love the way everything gets blurred in your work. The, 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 uh, the actual work plus the real time, uh, you know, it, which is kind of performance-like, or there were performances, but they're very hard to distinguish from just real life. And so, so here in the book, uh, you know, here is a book which, you know, we read and crack the spine on, but, you know, you're not really supposed to crack the spine because it's a different kind of object. And it's, it's uh, engaging you differently than you might any other kind of uh, book, which is fascinating to me. So why I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about, uh, or talk to you today, is because of all of the things that you've blurred. And um, the book, as I understand, and haven't been able to touch yet, um, <laughs> it's right here. No, but I'm afraid to touch it. No, uh, <laughs> is divided into three sections, right? Correct. And so maybe you can. I, I was. It seemed yeah, almost chronological, but I don't think so. I think they're more. It is pretty much chronological. Um, maybe the. Um, the um, the projects are not exactly in a chronological yeah, order within the, the sections, um, but they are they are sort of um, kind of grouped into type of projects perhaps as well as chronological. So between ninety and ninety five, I uh, produced a lot of um, political public art that was um, in the form of. Um, visual commentaries, outdoor billboards, um, public service ads in various newspapers, uh, a lot of sort of campaigns, um, you know, with t-shirts and buttons and various messages that um, tackled specific subjects at the time. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So around that same time, there's, you know, Jenny Holzer and, and uh, Barbara Kruger, and I was curious if they were, I, I hate to ask artists about influences. No, no, they're, they're, they're truly influences. This is what happens. I, because we were just talking about where are you from, and I'm from the old country, as I say. And the reason <laughs> it's just the old country is because it's just as mysterious to me as it would be to anybody else, right? So we talk about it in detail. But I was kind of born and raised behind the Iron Curtain, in a sense, and, and, and um, left when I was fairly young. And so I have this kind of inescapable socialist upbringing as I kind of stay in my artist statement. And whenever you're a kind of a preteen or a teenager coming out of Eastern Europe, you come to the West and you think Salvador Dali is the coolest artist. Really? Because what year that's is a, this? That, what that, year? that was sort of early 80s. And you think and Salvador Dali is... Well, that's what you do because you are subconsciously sort of feeling this freedom, not just of, of, of a political freedom, but also of a, a freedom of dreams, and that artist represents that oh, visually. Interesting. And so this is not just my experience, but a lot of kids who actually go through that, right. who actually 
come from behind that. And you think Salvador Dali is just the coolest artist. God, that's and crazy, then, you, you, and then you, you, and the reason I'm bringing it up, and then you sort of, you know, you kind of, you grow out of that phase. I mean, I have a niece in Holland, for example, and she, she is going through a similar phase through surrealism. I think it's a natural uh, sort of growth for a lot of creative teenagers. I think, uh, right. and she has, yeah. she was not raised behind the Iron Curtain at all, and and so. Um, I, um, so in, after you sort of, you know, kind of explore and sort of start studying and all that and sort of realize you kind of default back to socialism, all of a sudden it's like, it's Barbara Kruger, it's yeah. Jenny Holzer. You kind the, of immediately gravitate to that. Yeah, and slow. that's all, and they're seriously, they're, they're very big influences on me in the 80s. You know, my work is done primarily in the 90s uh, from that period, but there is a lot of that sort of influence. Yeah. You, you, it, but that's kind of a natural kind of, Transition. Yeah, I sense. saw a little bit. Of that. So, when did you leave the Iron Curtain? Well, it was, it was a long time ago. It was like, you know, two centuries ago. Yeah. It seems like it. Right. Well, it was in it this, was 19, it, it was it was in the in the early 80s. Basically. In this life, though, it was in the yes, early Yes, it was in the early 80s. Okay, 80s. okay, so before the wall came down. Before the wall came down, yes. No, no. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. So, there truly was the Iron Curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Very true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine. I, 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 uh, I fear the repression, uh, you know, based on the authoritarianism that we're getting these days. Yeah. Uh, but I can't imagine, uh, you know. I, re I remember somebody telling me a joke back in the day about uh, Brezhnev. Yes. Right, where they, would, where they couldn't say his name, so they would point to their temple or right to their eyebrow because he had a unibrow. And so, when they were telling a joke, he and he being the butt of the joke, they would point to the eyebrow and be able to say sure. then. I, I can picture him in my head right now. He yeah. had these really thick eyebrows. They were just <laughs> two, two rectangles. Right. Um, how did we? Um, how do we start talking about the book and all that? I think I think was because uh, well, you, I you were about asking Twitter. about the International uh, Transgender Day of Visibility. Well, that's how we started. And yeah, and and, um, and the reason I brought up the book is because when I was going through it and writing it and putting it together over a year ago and going through all those projects uh, in the '90s, especially, and so it kind of connects to that period that you said from the Barbara Kruger and Jenny Holzer influence, um, is that I realized that a lot of the topics that I was sort of tackling back then, and unfortunately, still topical, still pertinent today under this current administration, mm -hmm. and so the um, uh, lift the ban, um, hey sailor kind of project that I right. did back in 1993, which was the first project that I did under the uh, Clinton administration, is very much topical today because we now yeah, we have a transgender right. ban, right. and and so I kind of bring these things up, and this year is kind of the year that I'm trying to kind of showcase people uh, that this work that I've been producing 25 years ago is unfortunately still topical today. We know we did that. Um, uh, we, uh, Elise represented a project right before the elections, which was the quotes project that I had done in 1992, right. where we sort of, um, um, I, I have these statements that are actually quotes from conservative politicians back in, in the early 90s, and they're still topical today. Yeah, I, I, when I saw them, I, I, you know, I hadn't seen and, them in the and 90s. So, and and I, so that's, that's, I couldn't believe that, uh, you know, this, this, this was just the reason I kind of did the book also is for a personal reason. I wanted to see, 
you know, what I have done in all these years as a, uh, a personal right. kind of journey is experience. And I was almost shocked to kind of realize that, wow, this is still unfortunately still topical today. We haven't made any progress in this country for the past 25 year, five years. You know, have we is basically the question. Yeah. I, I, and what do we do about it? I was unaware of your work um, in uh, the 90s, the, the quote work, and I, um, in doing my little homework for today, uh, I saw it, and I, I thought that they were spoken today. Yeah. And they were quotes from 20 years ago. Yeah. And they were from uh, Clarence Thomas, Sandra Day, Sandra Day O'Connor. Oh, man. Um, yeah. There were these... Um, just I mean, during the book, so we can look them up. Yeah, I don't remember George Bush Dan Quayle. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> remember those people? Yeah, yeah. Um, there were these kind of insane about healthcare, about yeah. Um, we're back again. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, just, it's, it's it's just it just it's, it's, history always repeats itself. But I didn't think it would be just almost identical to what it was, you know, a quarter of a century ago. Right. So. Um, so your belief, and I think is correct, is that um, performance art, or public art anyway, can be a lightning rod for a discussion, right? Yes, the whole, yeah. Sure. And I'm going to press back on that and say, yes, but you're doing it at Lace, or you're doing it at the Chicago Art Museum, or you're doing, you know... Mm. Um, so you know, it, am I? Am I? You think I'm speaking to the converted and preaching yeah, yeah, to the preaching to the yeah. choir. That is not true. I mean, this this representation of lace or um, uh, the the uh, the work was always public. When you do an outdoor billboard, when you do the campaign, when you do things in um, sort of newspaper, it was always public. And in '91, I was asked by University of Illinois Chicago to do an exhibition of this work. And so of the, of the billboards of, of all of all this work, the, the Linda piece. Yes, oh. the Linda out of context, and um, and so I just realized. I mean, I was very hesitant because I do not make objects. I do not really exhibit for that sort of purpose. I believe that these messages should be out there in the public sphere, rather than in a rarefied kind of white wall mm -hmm. kind of space. And so what I did is I had to. Um, but it was an opportunity not to do the exhibition, but it was an opportunity to make a commentary that the work doesn't belong into the space. And so what I did is um, uh, we cast the t-shirts in synthetic resin and made them purposely unwearable. And we displayed them on shelves just like the Andy Warhol uh, Campbell, uh, Campbell yes, uh, soup, soup dresses, uh, yeah. Uh, paintings um, and then I cast the, uh, the political buttons and we put them on pedestals and I also create this a maze of crowd control stanchions and white plastic chains. It's sort of like you're going to an institution in a bank, but you had absolutely, they were, they were throughout the entire exhibition. So you had absolutely no choice of what part of the exhibition you would see first. You were like waiting in perpetual line, kind of like basically you, oh, were, steered, you were steered by the institution uh, of where you're going to go. To which sort of happens. Uh, what, and you exit through the, uh, exit through the gift store. Yeah, yes, you get exit through the gift store. They didn't have a gift store <laughs> that's, at, that, at that place, in that gallery, but, but you're right, I know what you're referring no, to. No, but that's the point. Um, I yes. Mean, yeah, and, so, and so the... Um, uh, but that's that's why um, uh, yeah I, I if I would do some kind of an exhibition uh, which I you know I really haven't done a comprehensive exhibition since is is I would make the commentary that work does not belong there at all 
And right. so you oh, write about that. Um, you write about that. And so the easiest thing for me to do is to blow up, um, you know, the billboard and put it on a wall or to put up, you know, the messages. Mm -hmm. But when you make this kind of a commentary that the work doesn't really belong there and it's kind of ridiculous being here, uh, then it, it just shows people like another side of it. It brings another layer of it yeah. to it. Uh, so you're right, you know, that most of us who do political public art do preach to the converted, but uh, this is kind of my my kind of attempt to go beyond that and to make that commentary. Yeah. It doesn't really belong there. I, I you know, well, I, I don't make objects to exhibit, so I still don't sure. to this day. Right. Although it would be nice if people bought them, right? <laughs> I suppose. I, you know, I, I, we've, it's funny. I, I don't know why, but over the last couple of weeks or several weeks, as I put this cast on, uh, I've just become fascinated with this whole, uh, with artists working in these gaps between the institutional and the cultural and mm -hmm. uh, the street. And uh, I think it's, you know, again, the blurring of the lines uh, is really interesting to me I mean, I, and I think uh, you know it's of the moment for sure but um, your performance character whose mm -hmm. name I can't pronounce nobody can pronounce your name Ma and Max uh, Love no no no, yeah. I no, no, no that's it. okay I mean people try to pronounce the full name and it's very it's it's very difficult unless you have this kind of a background in language it was difficult for me to pronounce it her first name is Margorzata mm -hmm. and it's actually a Polish name and um, if there is an equivalent in English, will be Margaret. Uh -huh. But her last name is Romanska, and everybody wants to try to, which is much easier to pronounce, right? And it's a constructed name. It's um, it's got the word man in the middle of it, uh -huh. Roman, and it's Roman because this is an Eastern European sort of person who looks to imitate the West. Uh -huh. And so that is that's a constructed as purposely that name, but that you can call it so, Ms. Ms. Romanska rather than Margorzata Romanska. Everybody tries so the first. It sounds name. great. Yeah, <laughs> it does sounds great. But you know, this is uh, and this is a very difficult sound which I you know I picked up from my Polish friends. I'm not from that part of the world, and so this rz sound in the middle, Margorzata. You know, it's it's difficult to pronounce. So don't try it. But if you want to, well, no, I that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know how to yeah. pronounce it. But anyway, so this is your performance character. And and the performance is fascinating to me yeah, it because is, it, it fits is. into the, uh, the you know comments we had just moments ago about um, you know the white cube and uh, who's included and who's not. Mm -hmm. So perhaps you can kind of describe what what <laughs> whose name I cannot pronounce. Miss um, Romanska. Miss Romanska. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you could tell me, um, well, um, it's. Malkushada Romanska is a sort of a self-made multimillionaire. Um, and that's important, right? That, that is very important. Um, that she's self-made. Right? She's self-made. She's not an heiress or something. Exactly. Uh, from Eastern Europe. And just like and then, me. Uh, and just do you get a little backstory here. This is a performance character. This is a performance art character. And... Um, and this is, you know, I don't I want to backtrack a little bit is because the second section of the book uh, is more of a transitional and sort of the third. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's transitional. And, and I was going to eliminate it um, from from this kind of version of the book. But I realized that Margojata Romanska would not be possible without the second section. It uh -huh. kind of leads up to it because what happens is, is that um, after 95, I kind of um, 
I start to, uh, to I, I, st I stay away from all these political messages and all the mm. public campaigns, mm -hmm. and I start writing more and start to, start to play with gender, and I start to mix gender in various kind of performances. We call used to call it gender for drag. Would mix sometimes. I would just wear combat boots and a wig and a mini dress, and and so we would. Uh, so I would I would you know I would start writing um, monologues or essays on specific queer issues. Um, and those will be the projects that from about 95 to 97, 98 or a little around there that kind of evolved later, which are kind of the, the, the prelude to that character, which comes much later, it comes uh. in the 2000s. And so um, uh, I, I was, you know, I, I started to kind of be much more aware and tackle you know, sexism within the queer community, uh, calling uh, your lover partner, all these kind of issues that we had back in the queer community in the 90s. And so, um, Margojata Romanska is kind of an extension of that, uh, in a sense. It's a natural progression. Hmm. And basically, um, I wanted to... Um, I, I, um, I had moved to Los Angeles uh, from Holland. I lived in Holland for a period of time. And um, I had moved to LA and I started sort of collecting art. Um, and I realized that uh, you spend a few thousand dollars and these doors just open up for you everywhere. Um, you know, especially with alternative spaces or with emerging artists and that sort of stuff. And so I um, kind of, um, wanted to see, I mean they're, they're open to people with who are able to spend that, that spend money, money. Right, yeah. and so I was really interested in the dynamic uh, who gets that access huh. um, to the artists to the VIP parties to the vernissages to all of that and I wanted to create a character I've always been interested in the outcast I wanted to create a character who is normally on the out on the fringes of society whether that's the man in women's clothing, whether that's the drag queen, the transgender person, uh, and give that, that, that person, that persona, that character financial power. Hmm. And by doing that, it just fucks up with people's perceptions of who has power, why they have it. Usually you don't expect that person to have that financial power, to have that social cloud, to be in these circles. And and, and that's uh, why because the self-made piece is important. It is because, important. Yeah, right. It's it's important for that person to uh, to be self-made, but also um, normally you associate that person as an entertainer mm. rather than somebody with financial power in the cloud and somebody with a mm. foundation mm -hmm. and with mm -hmm. uh, you know collection. Yeah. And, I mean, we would um, if, uh, how it started is that I developed her in Los Angeles, and it started by going to. Uh, uh, laces uh, fundraising auctions that was the first kind of uh, performances and then she would arrive uh, completely anonymous so she would arrive uh, with a chauffeur um, and sort of uh, with, uh, with a, you know either a Jaguar or a Mercedes and they would open the door for her and she would just come and she would bid and buy pieces and it just you know you can see and, and at that time there were some celebrities there their jaws would just completely drop who is this person who is actually looks like that yeah. and I modeled her after uh, women on um, the board of New York museums. Oh, no um, You know, she would wear a certain necklace, she would have a certain watch, she would wear a certain perfume, her hair would be a certain way, she would wear this kind of a business suit, um, you know, and, and so uh, that would 
you know that that it was I was fascinated with how people would respond to that, hmm. and basically that's the background and the core of it is just taking somebody who normally does not have mm -hmm. financial power. And you power. did this for a while, though, right? I like, did this so for a while. This was a kind of a committed. I did it for several years. From probably it started in two thousand and five. And and but the and then the the character and the piece progressed through that, right? Like yes, people I mean, recognized it, you, or I mean, they would they would be you'd be recognized at these kind of auctions or whatever. Eventually, yes, that's what happened. I mean, but first, not as a performer. Uh, well, eventually, I mean, uh, by it was fascinating. This is kind of a side fact that it was fascinating because you know my friends knew who this was, and my close friends. Mm -hmm. But I have a lot of when you're in the art world, you kind of sure. know a lot of people. There's a lot of acquaintances, and people would not recognize me. So I absolutely <laughs> love that. I would love that <laughs> to funny. the point that after later on, years on. Later, when I revealed it or I talked to them about it, they were just felt so not, not shocked, but they kind of felt so deceited. You can tell. Oh, they, really? They they, they uh, were just kind of shut down immediately. Um, and it was they really felt, interesting. They felt betrayed. Probably. I mean, I everybody has a different kind of um, huh. uh, response to things, but I can just sense that that was that was kind of a interesting, uh, strange, yeah, uh, strange dynamic there. Uh, but yes, and. As you see in the book, in the first sort of cha uh, chapter from that section, there is there's some camp elements which are left over. You know, she used to wear it first with this white wig, with a pink suit. I stripped that down. I gave her real sort of hair, frosted hair, kind of just like somebody. Um, yes, and and a business suit. Um, and so we started. I started showing up at these auctions. Malka used to have an auction as well. Uh, lace and then I took her to the art fairs because that's where normally this kind of dynamic of talking about art and buying art from private dealers and just really happens and um, and then I think it was 2007 I, I, I tested it first in uh, the art fairs in Berlin in London and the goal was to sort of see what happens at Art Basel, Miami. Mm. And uh, in December we did, and I have never gotten so much attention in my life or any of my projects that you've <laughs> seen before. And the, the interesting part about it is, is that the attention was, um, uh, I mean, when you go to these, and by that point she started to get invited to the VAP, the, the, the very first earliest VAP of Art Basel in those fairs, you know. Um, and... Um, and so you go there and there's all kinds of performance art happening at these vernissages and these openings, you know, the VIP parties. Uh, but, you know, there were like people in gorilla suits. You know that it's a performance. Yeah. I think the reason we got the attention that people didn't know whether it was real art, or not, yeah. uh, real, real person or a performance. And I just, as you say, I also love blurring that line between what is real, what is performative, mm -hmm. whether this is a character, whether this is a real person, you know, giving that person financial power, which normally would not expect from somebody who's seen as the entertainer or somebody, you know, who's a transgender person. So even though I didn't create the character, for being that, that's, I realized that I was doing trans-positive work back then, even looking back on it. So, um, but anyway, that's that. That was how it kind of, and then it. Um, and so it's then that from performance has ended, right? Or do you? Well, I don't do the character anymore. Uh, you know, that's certain things have a life of its own. I thought that the book will kind of, you know, lead me into either reviving it, but I have no interest in playing that character. But when you do this, it's performance art. It's it's sort of like I lived as that character for days at a time. 
um, and it's kind of draining both physically yeah, and emotionally yeah, because yeah. Um, it's not just although acting. you went to a lot of great parties you do but you get <laughs> you get just as much negative energy as oh, you get right. positive energy oh interesting well, because yeah, a lot sure. of yeah, people right, right, are yeah. just very uncomfortable with it and um, you would not uh, you'd be surprised um, of the amount of homophobic and sexist comic that I've heard being thrown at her by people who are either collectors or curators or on boards of something or journalists for that matter and that just wears you down really? after a wow. while. Yes. You would think in that group, I, I don't know, I would, you'd think they'd be more accepting. No, you just kind of realize that even that sort of or upper echelon of the art world is just as conservative as homophobic and sexist as everything else. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, they I'm, might obviously not. I don't, I don't they, go they by don't, a lot of art. So they, by the way, I, I met people. <laughs> I met people that I would never meet as Kulov. You know, I've met uh, Eli Broad. Uh, you know, you know, Jeremy Strick was it uh, was the director of the Mocha at the time. Mm-hmm. The board of Mocha. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I meet all these people that I've never met yeah, to, in real to the, life. To the you doors kind of you kind of the doors right. are open, you right. know, for you there. So um, so it was fascinating, um, and uh, it was it was gratifying, but it was also. Um, uh, emotionally and physically draining. I mean, first of all, it takes me about a day to kind of transform my body and sh- sort of shave everything off, and then I have to get into accent, character, and you have to, you know, at the fairs, we go down to Miami or somewhere else in London, you kind of do it for four or five days, yeah. 10 hours a day, yeah. and it's draining. You go back to the hotel room and it's completely draining. So I kind of lived as the character, and I created this persona with very sort of fine detail. She would wear only a certain necklace. She would have all kinds of IDs, and, 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 and there's a page in the book that I throw all this kind of memorabilia from all her identity, in a sense. Hmm. There was a um, this is obviously post 9-11 and it was very difficult to get it's very difficult to get like a real identity like uh, some artists like Lynn Hirschman did in the 70s with her characters where she created she got a driver's license for her that's not possible anymore because we have all this scrutiny now you know for immigrants and for uh, you know terrorists and and uh, and the interesting part about um, this kind of experience for me that you might also find kind of contradictory is that the gay art dealers were the most difficult to uh, persuade this is it's kind of like a valid, you know. That you were actually buying yes, art. That you're buying art and you can talk about art. And um, because, um, you know, gay men and, and women in general, they you have this, you know, they're used to the drag queen. They saw it as a drag queen entertaining. And there was nothing oh. entertaining about it that I... You know, I was not interested in entertainment whatsoever, but nevertheless, a man in women's clothing is viewed as an entertainer. So it took a while to persuade them, you know, that uh, to come on board that this is kind of a real and a valid performance and has nothing to do with entertainment because they're used to that drag queen from mm-hmm. the, the gay bar or the club but, or... I mean, bringing them along in terms of, like, did you actually buy art from them? Yeah, or? and also and also to bring them along for, for them not to sort of uh, ignore you. Or dismiss it as, dismiss like, the it completely. Uh, yes, I mean, there was one, um, and I, I kind of write about it in the book, there was a gay dealer, uh, well-known, Ed Winkleman from New York, <laughs> And I started talking. It took about three 
uh, of four encounters at various, you know, started in Berlin and in London and in Miami. And he would be very sort of distant and didn't want to talk to me as the character. But eventually, you know, I know how to talk about contemporary art. Yeah. It has a, it's through an accident, all that, but it just took a while. So we, and then finally in New York, um, you know, this was over a period of six months, he just welcomed her to the booth with open arms. It took a while, but also at the time, uh, you know, I was starting to get, I wouldn't call them gigs in quotation marks, is that she was invited to give the prize for best emerging <laughs> artist yeah, at the that. fair. Yeah. So that was a real, and, and I also, um, when I would do, because I would get all kinds of requests for appearances, for example. Hmm. You know, an appearance is very sort of entertainment, because most right. people want that to be entertainment, and I would refuse. The only time I would sort of come to an art fair uh, if it's not, uh, in the beginning, we sort of did it on our own because we needed to kind of establish that character and what she's about. Um, but, uh, but later on, I would just turn down every kind of appearance. The only way I would sort of come to an art fair is that her corporation, MR Industries, become one of the official sponsors of the fair. Wow. So I would request a full-page ad in the catalog, the logo of MR Industries, which is her corporation, with six offices around the world. She has an 800 number with various kind of extensions. She still has that number, by the oh, way. Right. Yes. <laughs> MR Industries that. has that number. And so um, and there was a website with it and everything. So, um, so I would request all these things. She would become an official sponsor because that's how you give somebody uh, like that financial power. They have to be officially... Um, yeah, one gotta, of the official, yeah, you know, yeah, point. exactly. Otherwise, I would just kind of refuse it ah, completely. Yes, that's wow. the only way that I would. Otherwise, it just uh, defeats the purpose of why I of the character and what I wanted to accomplish with. I just wanted to change people's perception of what somebody with financial power and social clout at that level looks like and acts like and should be like. Right. Now it's fascinating stuff, and it's all in the book. It is all in the book. Yes. Which is, and how do we find the book? You find the book on my website, coolovart.com, K-U-L-O-V art.com. That'll be the easiest way. You also right. find it at Lace's bookstore. Yeah, well, how come it's not in my bookstore? Well, we can arrange something like that if you want to, <laughs> unless you want a tremendous commission for it, which doesn't exist. <laughs> no, 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 we don't make money will, from these things. It will be in A.G. Geiger, and it'll be on aggeiger.com. Curious, what are you doing now? Like today, tomorrow? What do you tomorrow, do? Well, as an artist? What do you do tomorrow? Well, I um, through through this process of doing the book, um, I was just kind of decided. I mean, I I wanted to kind of see if it leads me somewhere else. Um, you know, by going through all these past experiences. But what I discovered is that. Um, there is a resurgence in interest in political art just mm -hmm. because of what we are under this current, um, you know, um, insane administration. Um, and also, um, I wanted to kind of take it, give it another year with the book and, and kind of educate the public on how things haven't changed in the past 25 years. So what I'm doing, I'm still either representing projects from it um, and um, or or kind of doing book talks and trying to sort of inspire people to kind of do their own creative activist kind of work. Um, but how do I continue further? I'm still have having undeveloped ideas. Do I continue with the character and challenge 
you know, the lack of transgender people on museum boards, or do you know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. that's how do we yeah. kind of develop those kind of projects? That's something down the line. But I've decided to kind of um, to kind of give this book some time and some more space and to see where it leads me through talking to the public. And the reason yeah. I'm doing this, um, you know, kind of podcast is, you know, to, to kind of to educate the public on the work itself, but also to kind of hopefully inspire them through it to, to challenge, um, you know, this administration or whatever they feel passionate about politically, in a sense. Right. Mostly to get out and vote and change the system, which yeah, happens, we but we hope that we don't get complacent we now that we've... Just, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, in solidarity for your uh, international transgender thing, I, I, tech, I, I emailed my Jimmy Gomez, my congressman, about, okay. about the uh, service. Yes, that is um, unfortunately uh, happening because, um, I mean, it's making its... Well, I, we should sort of mention people who don't know is that you know um, the the, the um, Trump administration decided to put this uh, ban on transgender uh, troops in the military, um, and um, that was of course challenging the courts, um, and it's going to make itself up through the lower courts. But in the meantime, the Supreme Court you know made a decision in January that um, the ban could be implemented hmm. while. It's moving well, through, it's moving through, through the right. courts, and so there's a, it's complicated in terms of like the details and, and what this ban is about. To that you know people need to research and find out more about it. But unfortunately, just like we had a ban 25 years ago, uh, which took 17 years uh, to repeal the "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" um, kind of ridiculous uncommitted kind of policy that Clinton decided to compromise about. Uh, back in 94, it didn't get repealed until 2011 officially under Obama. And all of a sudden, uh, six or seven years later, we're back, you know, under a ban. I mean, yeah. we all understand against, whether Against his own... Uh, against exactly. his, against I mean, the Pentagon's recommendations. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, so thank you for you know just making you congressman aware that this is happening. They are, but we don't want that because there's so many other issues that take priority. We don't want that to kind of fall through the cracks or sure. be put on the back burner. And uh, these kind of politicians to be aware of it as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Oh yeah, appreciate it. That was it. It was yeah, 45 minutes already. Well, it's yeah. I know. Well, time time passes by when you're talking about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> passes by really quickly. <laughs>